It's important to make sure your family has a plan in case of an emergency. We talked to this family to see if each of them knew where to meet if they were not together when something happened. If a natural disaster happened and we were outside the home, we would all meet at the park. That's our meeting point. I meet places at our neighbor's house because she is my mom's good friend. We all have a meeting spot, which is a bus stop. Is your plan any better? To learn more about making an emergency plan for your family, go to ready.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. And it's for the gays. Join a sonic ride with pride every Tuesday night at 10. It's Double Rainbow on VIC Radio Ithaca, dedicated to exploring the best queer songs by queer singers. Expect pop, R&B, rap, and more. Dancing is heavily encouraged when listening to Double Rainbow, only on VIC Radio Ithaca. are going to remember where you were right now for the rest of your life. Is that unbelievable? Or is that unbelievable? Holy smokes, what a finish! How can you not be romantic about baseball? You're listening to On the Mound with Max Tanzer, Matt Salsler, and Tommy Muma on BIC Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Mound here on VIC Radio. Matt Sossler alongside Max Tanzer and Tommy Muma, midway, or should I say potentially three-quarters of the way through this World Series where the Atlanta Braves lead the Houston Astros three games to one following what I would call a comeback victory from last night down in Atlanta. So, I don't know. I mean, guaranteed this will be the last time that we're on the air before this World Series expires, given if it goes the distance, it'll end Wednesday night. But takeaways on Atlanta. Unbelievable. I am incredibly impressed, more so from the pitching staff than it really is the offense. The offense have been clicking this entire postseason, really the last month and a half or so. So that's no surprise. But the pitching has just been dominant this entire postseason. And again, keeping them in ball games. You know, there was such an interesting start to this game yesterday. Of course, the Braves going with Lee as their opener, who had thrown a combined four and one third of Major League Baseball innings in his career, including the postseason. All of a sudden, you're on the mound starting the biggest game of your life. You're not even used to starting in your career. He goes a third of the inning. Then you hand the ball off to who other than Kyle Wright, a former top prospect, who just threw six innings in the, in the regular season this year, is making his first postseason outing, goes four and two-thirds, allows just one run, five hits, three walks, three strikeouts. Martin, Matzek, Jack, Jackson, and Smith then combined for four scoreless innings, allowing just two hits apiece, or in total, excuse me. So, with that said, this pitching is really stepped up here for the Braves, and the offense squeaked through three runs across on a pretty good Astros rotation and bullpen as well. Um, so look at that, just 27 outs away from the first World Series championship since 95. Yeah, I mean, you said it, Max. It's been the pitching for sure because you take a look at the last two games, uh, 2 to nothing on Friday, 3 to 2 last night. And, uh, yeah, they really kept them in the game and given them a chance to win. And uh, they've gotten timely hits when they needed it. I mean, Travis Darno with an insurance run late in the game, a home run back on Friday, and then obviously – the clutch back-to-back home runs to tie the game and give them the lead last night. So, uh, you know, I'm really happy for them. They've been great so far. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sleep on Houston, though, yet. I still think they're very much in this series. We know the type of team they have, but Atlanta's been outstanding. And you mentioned Houston. What's going on with them? I mean, you two picked them to win this whole thing. I honestly don't know what is going on. Their offense can't seem to muster anything up which suddenly makes it seem like, who knows, maybe they need the buzzers and trash cans once again. (laughs) However, the one thing you have to consider is against the Red Sox, they had a fantastic series offensively, especially with the exception of those two games that Boston blew them out of the dirty water. But anyways, besides the (laughs) point, it's like, what's going on with Houston? They just can't, it's like they forgot how to play baseball. No, yeah, it's a reverse, really, flip of what I think the expectations were coming into this series. And if you look, their pitching hasn't even been bad over the last three games. They've allowed a combined seven runs, two runs in Game 2, two in Game 3, and three here yesterday in Game 5. I make that Game 4, excuse me. So the pitching has been good. It's just, as we mentioned, the Braves pitching has been better, and that offense is really showing up here for uh, Atlanta. And again, it's not even like the Braves have been hitting home run after home run the last couple of nights. Just three runs yesterday, two runs the day, night before that. 
it's the timely hitting. Dansby Swanson and Jorge Soler going back-to-back. Like Tommy mentioned, that insurance runoff of Kendall Graveman is huge in the bottom of the eighth inning going to the top of the ninth. Who knows what happens if the Astros are just are trailing by one run in that moment, maybe a little bit more momentum going their way, or at least an opportunity to squeak through it again. Austin Riley in Game 3 as well, that double down the left field line. Hitting with runners in scoring Talk position. Talk about defense too from Riley. Absolutely. Great diving play yesterday as well. Astros have been able to induce a lot of double plays, particularly yesterday too, which I think was key in helping them hold their lead. But again, just could not push across runs with um, runners in scoring position. And again, that's one of the biggest reasons why the Braves are here right now is that bullpen. Like I said, four shutout innings from Martin Matzik, Jackson, and Smith. And again, you got to give Kyle Wright so much credit. Quite an unbelievable story that you had Lee and Wright starting a pivotal swing game right here. And the two of them combined to allow just two runs through five innings of work against the Houston Astros ball club that has World Series experience, is incredibly deep, like we mentioned last week. All in all, I mean, I do think the Astros will win tonight. I really do, to jump to our predictions a little bit earlier. But that's a huge win for the Braves, obviously. Well, one thing you have to think about, though, is with Houston, or rather Atlanta, I should say, it was all on Lee that first inning. Kyle Wright came in, cleaned up the mess, got three straight outs, even though he gave up a run, it wasn't his. And you just have to think about Moving on to the bullpen, what it, what is Atlanta doing? I know they have to kill time before they have, you know, going to their better pitchers. But the one thing you have to consider is the way that Snicker is managing this. He's counting on a game six or a game seven, and that's evident because he only threw Ian Anderson what seventy something pitches through five innings in game three with a no hitter, and then yanked him. Yeah, I I will like, say I'm not against. I mean, you're the planning you're planning him. on him by yanking him. Yes, you're setting yourself up well for a game six or a game seven. And of course, Snicker didn't know that he would be in this situation with a three one lead and a chance to lock it all up in Atlanta. But honestly, now what you're setting yourself up for is Houston could have a bombastic offensive evening because they've seen almost every, if not every, single bullpen pitch to this point and seen them significantly. And that's what really flips the script in a World Series. It's when teams see each other's relief pitchers later in the series, and at that point, it's who can out-hit the other team. Yeah, and I, I, you're absolutely correct here. It is a difficult spot for the Braves, especially since they haven't announced a starter yet. They lost Charlie Morton, so they're without an extra starter on top of that. What I will say is it comes to that decision that every coach at every level of baseball has to decide, and it's do I start my A guy now? and risk not having anyone later, or do I save him and risk not even getting to that game? Now, obviously, he had Ian Anderson in this situation, but I think it's a similar concept on whether or not to pull him early. I think he knew, especially in a one nothing deficit right there that the Braves were facing at the time he pulled him, that they had an opportunity to get back into that game. Or was it a one nothing lead? Either way, it was a very close game in that situation when he pulled Ian Anderson. And I think he had to face the decision of, okay, do I pull him now? Going and risk to my losing bullpen? the game? Exactly. Risk losing the game. I mean, obviously it worked out for him, but... No, 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 it did work. You're right. The only problem now is is that he might not have as much longevity through his bullpen for the remainder of this year, or at least for tonight. If they have, here's, if the Astros win tonight, then they have a day off. Here's the question, six, though, but... sort of bouncing around looking forward here. If Atlanta is in a favorable situation, like let's say within a one-run ball game, let's say for the sake of this scenario, Atlanta's up by one run, final three frames, either seven, eight, nine. If you're Snicker, do you roll with a starter, whether it's Freed, whether it's Anderson, somebody like that, who the Astros have not seen so much, to close it out? The Red Sox sort of did that with Sale in the World Series a couple of years ago, but they had a bigger lead. That's what I mean. If it's like a they three had a bigger or, lead and it was game six, if right? It was, yeah, if they had a three or four game lead, I mean a three or four run lead, I'd say go for it. That's fine. But at this point, honestly, I think you got to ride your guys if that's what all, all you have left, right? I, I want to take a look at some of the probables right here, obviously. Without Morton, this really mixes things up because this would have been his game today. Of course, the Astros going with Framer Valdez, who was their game one starter on their side of things. But you're right. The, it's, it's similar to what the Yankees faced a couple years ago with the Astros, too, because they were using a lot of their bullpen pieces. They had the opener in, in Game 2, was that, I believe? I think Of the so, championship yeah. series in 19. The Astros saw all those guys a lot. All of a sudden, you get to the back end of the series, and they're raking off of these guys because 
You know, you, Matt's right. Repetition's huge, especially when facing a, a pitcher a certain amount of times. We have two teams right here who, who really haven't faced each other in a couple of years, the Braves and the Astros. So this is extra important for Houston right now because they're actually legitimately seeing these guys for the first time in quite some time. Absolutely. No, it definitely plays a factor, and we'll see. Um, you know, I still wouldn't be surprised if we saw Houston win this series because I think that, you know, that lineup is just too good. I mean, you mentioned... Uh, you ask what happened, Matt. I think the Atlanta pitching's been really good, but they have seen them, uh, you know, quite a bit, especially the bullpen. So I think, you know, that is going to play a factor in these last final games of the series. But, um, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, that's definitely something that you have to consider is that, honestly, Atlanta sports, there's a narrative with <laughs> it. Is. Atlanta was able to escape the narrative in the championship series, but... In championship games, Atlanta has a history of blowing leads. The Falcons blew a 28-3 lead against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl a few years back. Georgia football blew a massive second-half lead to Alabama in the national title game a few years back. Same thing could be said about the Atlanta Braves in the championship series last year. So not what you want if you're an Atlanta team. And also a 3-1 lead has been proven over the past few years to be quite a feat that is tangible. I, I'm just doing some research right here, and AJ Mentor was a guy who was not used last night. He actually, if you guys go back to 2019, I mean that 2020, he started an NLCS game against the Dodgers and did quite well. His last outing in the World Series in Game One, I think he went a career high four innings. Uh, so so far in his postseason career, a 1-4-2 ERA clip in 19 innings of work with 29 strikeouts. Absolutely a candidate to start here, who could potentially go three or four innings. I think for sure. Well, I also think at this point in the series, if you're Snicker. You have Freed, you have Anderson, and then you have a bunch of pitchers. You throw them wherever you want. You throw them wherever it makes sense. But at this point in time, pitchers are going to be so amped up. And basically the idea is they only have four games left maximum or three games left maximum. That's if this series goes the distance. And I'm just talking about in terms of general pitching use. This isn't college baseball. This isn't Little League. This isn't high school. These pitchers don't have any pitch limits or 35 pitch rule, anything like that, that they need to be worried about. These pitchers are going to be ready to go. They are going to throw whenever they are asked. They're going to do what they need to do when they are asked because it's the World Series. Yeah, you know, just... The one thing that these ball players are thinking about, especially if you're on this Atlanta squad where the majority of them haven't won it, unlike the Houston squad that has a few players who won it back in 2017, they know how hard they worked. 162 games in the regular season. Then you have a bunch of games. 11 is the magic number in the postseason, and they're 10 out of 11 here in this case. They're so close, they will do anything. I, I honestly think if you ask Dean Anderson, if he threw in Game 6, you have him go in Game 7 if need be, he'll go. Same thing could be said with Max Freed. I know the Cubs did it. They were going to do it with Jake Arrieta in Game 7. If Ben Zobers did not hit that double, they would have gone with Arietta in the next half frame. If uh, you look at Evaldi in if it was a tie game, yeah. same with Nate Yavaldi. You look at it there. Madison Bumgarner, similar situation. Chris Sale. I could go on and on, back and forth, up and down Kershaw's about it. Kershaw's even done it. He may Kershaw not have been too. successful. Yeah. But he's like, done like it. anybody, anybody has done it. At, sure this, at this point, pitchers become pitchers. There's no starters. There's no relievers. There are people. Who, there are players who start the game and pitch in the first inning and maybe a little bit longer. But nobody's a designated starter. Nobody's a designated reliever. And in the case of these two teams, no one's a designated closer. No doubt. And, I mean, this is what these guys play for. You know, like, whenever you're facing a situation like this and a decision like this in high school or college, you're always thinking for their future, you know, whether it's college baseball on the horizon for them or professional baseball or if they're in the minor leagues, the big leagues. You know, it's the ultimate prize right now. But, exactly, this is what they play for right here. And, again, garnered a guy you don't want to, like, force someone to throw their arm off. You know, you can't do that. I mean, you can't do that, but they're going to be playing golf next week no matter what. But you could ruin someone's not only career, but everything like. Tommy John, exactly. you, don't, you don't want Tommy, Tommy John. Tommy John is the limit for me. You don't, want, yeah. you don't want Tommy John, but if Ian Anderson shoots an 80 next week instead of a 72 in his first round of the offseason, <laughs> I honestly don't think anybody's going to Well, I'll tell you, there. that'll be a lot of golf matches, not just in the offseason, but all the way through 2023, potentially. So I don't know if you're <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> anyway, my point here is, is that, look, Ian Anderson, you're right. I, if he's feeling fine... You know, I'm not going to say like they'll all have green lights, right? I'm pretty sure every pitcher comes in for every major league baseball staff and gives them a green light or a red light with how they're feeling, maybe a yellow light. All of them tonight 
tomorrow, or I should say tonight, um, Tuesday and Wednesday, are going to be given. Especially with a day off tomorrow. We're not line. taking that into consideration. No, that's a huge part. That basically turns this, honestly, if you're Brian Snitaker. Well, if we're going to do some early managing, let's say I would probably. This use... is a game seven. I, I would manage this like it's a game seven situation with the exception of Freed and Anderson. I'm only doing that if it's like. Because you have that day off tomorrow, you can throw whoever you want tonight. Well, let's, let's walk through it. So if you throw, I'd say you'd have to throw Freed tonight. You can't throw Anderson. That's two short rests. And if you Wait, do, you're saying you throw one of the two tonight and not no, 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 save no, no, him for six, seven? Here's what, no, 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 no. If I'm saying if you threw Freed out of the pen tonight or you had him start four innings, whatever it may be, which is I think what you're proposing, right? Well, no, I'm proposing that everybody is available in that bullpen with the exception of those two because okay. you're going to save them for Houston if you need them. That's Obviously, I'm going to circle back to my proposal was, from earlier in the things. show, whereas if you have that three or four run lead late in the game, then maybe you do it to try to avoid that extra plane fare back to Houston and ensure that the Astros fly back to the Lone Star State by themselves. But I honestly think if you're Brian Snicker, you put those two aside – Unless you're given that situation, that. and then everybody thought, everybody has to be ready to go whenever they're needed. I was going to say, if you throw free tonight, then all of a sudden it puts you in a spot where he probably can't start. Well, more than likely. Well, then also you're six. risking if you then lose you this Anderson game in Game 5, you're going to lose 6. Well, then you think, it do you throw, you, Anderson, spot, you throw right? Anderson in 6, or do you throw in 7? Because the way this situation works, when you get a 3-1 series lead, it's always almost always the situation. Game five is tight, and obviously if one team wins, it's over. If one team loses, it goes to six. Yes. If it goes to six, typically that's where you see the team that won game five run away with it. I'm saying if you— And then game seven, you throw all your—like, honestly, the analytics people can go on vacation early for a game seven because nothing—game seven, no number, no quab, no nothing can matter <laughs> in game seven. Uh, I was going to say, we're getting muddled up here for the listeners with all these different scenarios. Plain and simple, I think if you start Freed tonight or use him at all, you're putting yourself in a really tricky spot if you lose tonight because you have to win this game if you're using Max Freed. Because as Matt alluded to, all of a sudden you have Anderson on short rest probably starting game six, and then you have Freed maybe on short rest pitching out of the pen like Bumgarner did in game seven. And let's remember, Freed got roughed up by the Astros his last time out. So again... This is the question mark going into any start for Max Freed at this point because they'll be seeing him again, and hopefully he'll make some adjustments, and hopefully the time off can benefit him. But this is a tricky spot for Brian Snicker, and that's why, honestly, I would stay away from both of those starters in this case because you have some insurance. While they want to win tonight, they can afford to lose because they have their two top arms, unfortunately without Charlie Martin, but they still have two really good arms slated to go in 6-7, and seven, needing to just to win one of them. That's a golden situation for Atlanta if you tell them that last Tuesday coming into that, that you'd have Freed and Anderson lined up. And you have game. to win one out of three. Exactly. So I think they could afford to take a step off the gas pedal tonight if they really wanted to. And either way, I think the Astros will win. I think that they step up in big games right here. I think that they're due. I think the offense will start cooking. And as we've talked about this entire show, this pitching staff is incredibly taxed. I think A.J. Mentor is probably going to get this start tonight. But either way, I think that it's going to be really, really tough for the Braves to pull this one out. Not necessarily because anything they've done wrong They've just been doing everything right to the point where they're hanging on by a limb right now. And I, I think they just need that day off desperately. And if they win tonight, they win tonight, great. But I don't think it's the end of the world. Well, it's also the thing you have to consider is that it's just, if you're either team, if you're Dusty Baker too, we haven't talked about how he's going to manage his situation. Now, given he has a little bit more friendlier of a situation, even though he lost Lance McCullers prior to this series. But if you're Dusty Baker... You have three straight game sevens, basically, because you, know, you lose, you lose, you're done. It, Backs to the wall. So it's like you have to. It's even more difficult if you're Dusty, and honestly, if you're Houston, you want a big lead early today because that way you can ride whoever's in very long. They need day, Valdez to go deep. Get a day. Sure. They need Valdez got absolutely destroyed in game one. Yes. So it's like, again, you know, typically based on the past few World Series, you look at. Whoever started game one, you know, game five, it's always a toss-up on whether the pitchers made adjustments, if the hitters have countered those adjustments, or if nothing's changed at all and the hitters do what they did in game number one. But they look at scouting reports and also keep in mind, barring a midseason trade or midseason acquisition, these two 
teams haven't seen or interleague play. These two teams haven't seen each other in quite some time. So basically, it's you know it's interesting and it could always change the dynamic of the World Series. But before we take our first break of the hour, any final thoughts on uh, what could happen? We'll get to our World Series predictions in just a little bit. But any final thoughts on what we've seen out of the Fall Classic so far? I mean, I think it's definitely been a fun surprise for sure. I mean, to have Atlanta up 3-1, something I wasn't expecting. I don't think that either of you were expecting. So, um, you know, we're in a really good spot here. You know, as baseball fans, you got Atlanta up 3-1, and I think we're going to see some great baseball tonight. And, you know, hopefully over the next couple days, I don't want the season to be over tonight (laughs) because who knows when we're going to start up again. And we'll talk about that later, but... Um, no, I'm looking forward to tonight. It's going to be fun. No doubt. And I, I think that you got to give Brian Sticker a lot of credit here, the way he's managed this series. I know he got a lot of grief for taking out Anderson after five innings and in no-hit baseball. But plain and simple, Anderson had walked three batters. He was going to face the lineup another time, which he'd already been struggling with his command a little bit. Had walked three batters. The Braves won that game 2 to nothing. You can't afford to leave Anderson in that game because, look, he's not even going to go a full nine innings to finish that no-hitter if it does happen. And also, look, why would you? Exactly, my point. That's why I think it was so smart to break, take him out in that situation. That's a really hard decision to make. And, you know, he said he was using his gut, but it was sort of an analytical decision too, which I think is really Every manager has an earpiece this day and age. <laughs> yeah. Well, he said I, I think it was probably more of a gut decision too because there are a lot of baseball traditionalists that would have said you have to keep him in as a no-hitter. Well, if you keep him in, the Astros are probably going to string together a couple base hits in the next inning or so, and then all of a sudden your one nothing, 2 nothing lead has turned into a deficit. So he's done a really good job. And if like, and there's not been one player that's really stood out to me as an MVP in this World Series, but I think Brian Snitker, if managers could get it, uh, definitely has done a really good job so far with the bullpen usage and so forth. And I don't know, that'll be really tested like we talked about the next couple of nights here. Yeah, 100%. A lot of baseball to look forward to, and we'll get to that uh, earpiece in managers uh, later on in the show. We'll also talk about why there may not be baseball for quite some time once this Fall Classic expires, and also uh, some people who want to change some things up in the world of baseball coming up here on the mound on VIC Radio. VIC, the voice of Ithaca College, we prioritize diversity and inclusion. We are working to ensure that more voices are heard. We support and will continue to support the Black Lives Matter movement and victims of police brutality and racial injustice. We've heard you. We support you. We must advocate for change. Black Lives Matter. Tuesday nights at 10, expect some great hits by queer artists here at Double Rainbow, only on VIC Radio Ithaca. There's a variety of songs in abundance to work, sing, or just dance. Tune in Tuesday nights at 10. As the midterms roll by and the tests and quizzes pile up by the day, if you feel like you're a little in over your head, consider finding yourself a free tutor at the ithaca.edu slash tutoring page online, getting yourself matched up with someone in whatever classes you need, and working out times that fit around your schedule so that you can focus on your schoolwork. Welcome back to On the Mound here on VIC Radio. Matt Sostler alongside Max Tanzer and Tommy Muma. We just broke down the World Series and we're starting to get a first glimpse of what this potential offseason, and it could be a very quick offseason literally based on what we're about to talk about. But before we get into that, let's talk about really the first big move of this offseason before the postseason has even been through, and that's Bob Melvin going to San Diego, a Padres team that did not even come close to meeting expectations this year. They were expected to still be playing baseball at this time of year based on some people's predictions, and they did not do that. They didn't even make the postseason. They finished around the 500 mark, and Jace Tingler found himself on the way out. They bring in Bob Melvin and just trying to shake things up here. No doubt, and I I love this move a lot. This is a huge loss for the A's right here. I actually picked up his option and brought him back for another year going into 2022. But I do think there was some friction with Melvin in the direction where the, the A's were going. You know, and Melvin's a guy who is one of the most well-respected managers across Major League Baseball. I think a guy who 
I don't know if we'll get into the Hall of Fame, but I think people will push for a little bit, and people will start to get surprised as to, really? But if you look at the numbers right here, Melvin has had a lot of success in one of the smallest markets in baseball, has brought them to the postseason about five, six times in the last 10, 11 years or so, which is a really impressive feat. I don't think people give the athletics a lot of credit for how successful how successful, excuse me, they've been over the last 10, 12 years, given the amount of money that they've had to spend and the fact that they've had to tear down a couple of times as well. As, so I think this will be a really, really uh, interesting move for the Padres. They obviously had some optics issues as well. Yeah, and before we uh, continue on with Bob Melvin, Tommy, you have some sad news. Yeah, very sad news. Jerry Remy has passed away um, at the oh. age of 68. Obviously a Red Sox legend broadcaster, loved by so many. Um, so sad news this morning. That is just tragic, devastating. One of the best personalities in baseball post his playing career as well. Uh, such a cool moment, and now it makes it even more special that he had it in the championship series when he was able to come out. Man, that is that's really tough. And if I'm correct, he was in the booth at the beginning of this year for a little bit too. I think he was. Yeah, yeah. that is that is heartbreaking. One of the game's best personalities, uh, a guy that I grew up listening to at Don Arcillo a lot. Not necessarily as a Red Sox fan, but whenever I would turn on a Red Sox game, and those two had just tremendous chemistry on air together. Um, baseball lost a great one today, and that's it's really sad. Hopefully, collectively, the baseball community, the Braves and Astros, can give him a good ball game today. But that is that is really devastating, really. Yeah, Remy, you're right. Did uh, start off this season in the broadcast booth. Uh, lung cancer, the cause of death, was approaching his 69th birthday in about a week or so. Was a longtime broadcaster. Uh, nicknamed Rem Dog, was selected by the Washington Senators in the 19th round of the 1970 MLB draft. Did not sign with the team. Did sign with the Angels, who selected him in the eighth round of the free agent draft. In 1971, played three seasons with the Angels, making his debut in 1975, became the second captain in franchise history in 77. Big speedster on the base pass, played in 710 games across seven seasons with Boston later in his career, batting 286, 98 stolen bases, and then continued on to the broadcasting world with Nesson in 1988, called thousands of Red Sox games as an analyst over the past several decades. A Boston Red Sox Hall of Famer, one of the franchise's leaders in fielding percentage at second base, games played and putouts, as well as assists and double plays. And then after getting inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame, Remy was elected as the honorary president of Red Sox Nation. Remy was 69 years old. We'll step aside when we come back. We'll continue our conversation on Bob Melvin as well as make our World Series predictions here on the mound on VIC Radio. When the red flashing lights on a school bus come on and the stop sign comes out, you must stop. In New York State, you cannot move again until the red flashing lights go off and the stop sign is retracted, or until the driver or a traffic officer signals it is okay to pass. You must stop even on the opposite side of a divided highway. If you decide it's okay to risk a child's life and pass a stop school bus, you could face fines or even have your license revoked. Is it really worth it? Always obey the school bus stopping law in your state. Want to hear the best of what's next? Tune in every Tuesday, 6 to 7 p.m. for the new music show, right here on VIC Radio, the voice of Ithaca College. At VIC, the voice of Ithaca College, we prioritize diversity and inclusion. We are working to ensure that more voices are heard. We support and will continue to support the Black Lives Matter movement and victims of police brutality and racial injustice. We've heard you. We support you. We must advocate for change. Black Lives Matter. Welcome back to On the Mound here on VIC Radio. Matt Sossler alongside Max Tanzer and Tommy Muma. And guys, before we got that extremely sad news, we were talking about Bob Melvin and his transition to San Diego. Picking up uh, on that, how do you think Melvin can turn this franchise around? 
I think culture is the biggest part right now, and I and I don't think the Padres have a bad culture. I think a lot of people will point to the Tatis Machado altercation uh, towards the end of the season this year. I think that type of stuff happens in every clubhouse. It just happened to be uh, in the dugout, you know, in visual sight where fans and of course cameras could see, which is unfortunate. And I don't think that's necessarily something that we should worry too much about. But what I will worry about is Jace Tingler had a couple of situations that weren't handled fantastic, including the Tatis 3-0 swing on the Grand Slam in Texas back in 2020, the way he handled that and sort of sold out his player a little bit, obviously wasn't re- responded. There was not a good response from the Major League Baseball community after that, um, whether you like the bat flips, the 3-0 swings or not. But uh, And I think also, you know, you get to a point where the Padres, they got to win now. They spent a lot of money this year, sold a lot of their farm off to get really big names and big pieces to uh, bolster their opportunities to win the National League West this year. And really, the Giants took their spot and <laughs> surpassed the Dodgers, which nobody thought would happen. I think, obviously, coming into this year, it was going to be Dodgers-Padres. A lot of people favored the Dodgers to squeak over those Padres. But you get to a point where if it's not working, it's not working, and you have to make cutthroat decisions and I think it was absolutely the right move to get rid of or I should just say move on from Jace Tingler and now all of a sudden you're getting a guy in Bob Melvin who's pretty much even keel in terms of analytics and old school baseball I think he sits right in the middle uh, and he'll be a really really good fit I believe for this Padres team he really counters the high energy very well right we talk about Tony LaRusso and how he's not a very good fit with the White Sox I think Bob Melvin is a good fit for the Padres, for the same reason why LaRusa is bad in the way that he is very calm, mild-mannered, but I think the way he goes about his business and sort of more about how he leads by example and so forth uh, will be really good for this young Padres team, who still will probably show a lot of energy and play the game very uh, with a lot of emotion, too. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is about as good of a hire as they possibly could have had. I mean... And what a surprise that was, right? I certainly didn't see it coming. I mean, like you said, they were going to bring him back for 2022. And, uh, you know, he definitely did get a better opportunity. Despite success he's had in Oakland, you know, they're just not a team that's set up to make it happen right now. So, uh, you know, very happy for Bob Melvin. And for the Padres, I mean, uh, you know, they're getting one of the best managers in the league. I, I'm going back to an article from The Athletic back in uh, in May, and it was just a feature on him, and uh, somebody pulled out like quotes from different players. Uh, Bob Melvin is my favorite manager I've ever played for. To say I'm blessed to have him is a drastic understatement. I love Bob Melvin. I truly love Bob Melvin. He's loved in that clubhouse, and, you know, that's maybe not something that you would see you know, from an outsider looking in, because like you said, he is so even keeled. Uh, but he's great with the players. He's a player's manager, and um, I think he'll be great for that clubhouse with a lot of big personalities for sure. Yeah, 100%. I think the fact that he'll be able to maybe do a better job with the likes of Machado, Tatis, Musgrove, those big names in San Diego graduating from the small market status and trying to, even though the market size probably won't change, just trying to, again... They're playing they're, like a big they're, they're trying to get on the same level as the Dodgers and the Giants. And I think that, you know, if there's a baseball season in 2022, I think it's an easy three-horse race, again, barring any moves. And even with the fact that if they have a season in 2022, and speaking of that... Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association are on the verge of a work stoppage. December 2nd, I believe, is the date as of now. And we're uh, almost all things baseball will stop action. And we talked about this a little bit during the COVID season and how they just could not get things done. How it was a disaster in the negotiating room. Could see that again. No doubt. And... I think it's the last thing baseball wants, but I think, I don't want to say it's inevitable, but everyone's ready for it. It's been something that's been looming over the heads of baseball fans, baseball, and just the major baseball community in general over the last couple of years or so. And what's really sad about it, too, is we have a very loaded free agency market, one that I think is gonna would have made for a very exciting offseason, which now is either going to be really rushed or we're going to have to wait. 
Uh, I mean, a rush for agency wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, considering it was like tar the last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think people are going to be. I think GMs and teams are going to be really, really aggressive coming out of the gate. Like, I think once the free agency market starts, you know, and everyone's negotiations with their respective players, you know, that are leaving their team are finished, and it's open to every team in Major League Baseball, I think it's going to be working quicker than we've ever seen it, because these GMs know that they got to move. It's going to be really interesting is how a guy like Carlos Correa or Corey Seager or so forth are going to handle this as well, because you got to think, if we have a stoppage here, I could wait and then negotiate later, but then all of a sudden you can look at it the other way around, and maybe that would hurt them in the way that they but have to But also you technically can't, I mean, also I feel like if you're with a team, there's been, unfortunately during our lifetimes, if Major League Baseball does go on strike... It means that every single major sports league in our lifetime has gone on a strike or a lockout. And based on what we've seen from the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL, players are going to want to be with teams during this. Because even though you really can't do anything with your respective organization during the stoppage, you still sort of have that peace of mind. You don't have to worry about Insurance, where you're going, yeah. what you're trying to do. And if you're from the flip side, if you're a general manager, it means you don't have to worry about what's going on because also one thing that we see is when these work stoppages happen, it's that you have to go straight back. Literally, if it goes into the season, you have the time that they announce, okay, we're going to start playing ball again. And then opening days, two weeks later, we saw it with the COVID season. Now, given that was a completely different circumstance, but it's you don't have time to act. You don't have time to act. And I, I think that... I think that that's why a lot of teams will be really aggressive here coming into this season. And I actually am really curious to see which teams are aggressive now and if this affects anything, too, because a lot of teams, too, I, there are general managers out there that like to wait and see things develop. How's the trade market going to work? I think all of a sudden the GM meetings just became that much more important here, which are just a couple of weeks after the offseason starts. Um, I personally have hope that they could figure it out before opening day, you know, which is a in early April, late March. But if it runs in the spring train, they are probably going to have to delay this thing by a couple of weeks, which would really be disappointing after, you know, COVID took away essentially the entire 2020 season. The thing we also have to realize here, too, is, like, through the CBA, like, I don't think this will happen, but we could see a shorter season negotiated already. You know, there's so much going into this right now. There's so many decisions that have to be made that are going to alter baseball as we know it right now. Not necessarily in a bad way, but just in general, I think there's going to be a lot of big differences. For sure. I mean, this is going to be definitely a huge uh, you know, point in the history of the sport because I feel like they're in a spot right now, especially financially, where if they don't have a full season, this is really going to hurt them because you haven't had a normal season since 2019 in terms of money, right? Because obviously no fans with a 60-game season in 2020. And then, you know, you had limited capacity for, you know, some teams it was half of 2021. And uh, to have a shortened season, I think, would just be terrible and uh, definitely hurt the sport. And just to go back to what you were talking about with free agency, you mentioned some of the bigger stars. I think the ones that it really hurts is the guys that are looking to sign one, two-year deals. Uh, because, you know, teams are going to hold out and they're going to say, we're not going to give you all this money yep. because we don't even know how many games we're going to play, right? So, um, you know, I think maybe uh, some of the bigger stars like Correa and Seager, they might be a little more comfortable giving them bigger contracts because, you know, you're going to have them for a longer period of time. I mean, look at Corey's brother, Kyle, right now, a guy who's coming off a fairly good year. I think it's definitely... A little romanticized through some standard statistics that may be a little bit misleading, but he's a guy who I think will probably land a one to two year million dollar or one to two year deal worth probably around seven to ten million dollars AAV. And I think you're exactly right. He is a guy where it's why would you commit to him, particularly something towards ten million dollars if you're not even sure that the season is going to happen at this point? Because you're right, Correa, Story, Bryant, all of those guys are a sure bet. You know what you're getting with them. But there are some borderline guys who are getting into the back end of their career. And we saw this with COVID too. It happened with these players where you're like, all of a sudden, where'd that guy go? And it's because a team just didn't think it was worth committing to them when there was so much not necessarily of a risk, but just you didn't know what to expect with them, and you could sort of find the same value for cheaper somewhere else in your organization or in other organizations with someone who was younger and obviously had 
less service time. And I think you're exactly right. That's a really good point. I think that'll definitely hurt uh, some names that, again, I hope to see next year, but we just may realize a couple of years from now just sort of slowly like slipped out. Yeah, and that could be a problem for some guys who are stars right now who are on the fringe of getting their big contract, and that just doesn't happen because some teams, like you said, just don't want to commit to them at this point in time. And it's also just a bad, bad look for the sport. Again, we've seen lockouts and strikes of all sorts before, and leagues have rebounded. But I feel like baseball is already behind the eight ball here considering that baseball is just the sport that everybody loves to just attack. And we'll get to more on that later in the show. But I think that, you know, because, oh, it's so slow. The season's so long. What are they doing? Why do they care about substances? Why are there all these steroid problems? You know, so on and so forth. Everybody just loves to rip baseball to shreds. And honestly, when the two sides enter the negotiating room, it's like watching an episode of the Three Stooges. They're proving their point by acting foolish in the negotiating room, and that's all that makes the headlines. And then your casual baseball fan who doesn't read into the sport too much like we do is like, oh, great. Baseball is going to pull another baseball. Yeah, and it's almost like outside the negotiation room, right? Because they're jumping the social media, trying to use these fans to their advantage. And they're teasing, they're teasing us, too. They're teasing people on the in the outside, and they're like, okay, we're going to look at COVID. We're going to play in two days. We're going to play in three days. We're going to play in four days. Oh, wait, we're going to play in three months. Like, honestly, like, come on. Like, what are we doing here? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and, you know, like you mentioned with, you know, the, the non-baseball fan sees that there's all these issues with the sport, and that's been reinforced over the past few years. There's been so many black eyes for the game of baseball. You think about the Astros scandal we touched on in 2020, where, you know, I mean, you could almost call it a work stoppage with the negotiations because that was that went way longer than it needed to. I mean, they could have started the season about a month earlier, and they didn't. I mean, it just seems like, you know, not to give Rob Manfred a difficult time here, but it seems like <laughs> year after year there is something that is a major issue with the sport and this would just, oh, I'm sure you could go back to every... When did he take over? Back in 2014. Back in 2014. Okay. So or got, 15, 15. I mean, COVID's out of his control, but the way he handled it's in his control. You go back and then you have the Astros scandal. That's a black eye on him. What, what else has he done? What else is... I shouldn't say what else has he done. What else has happened in baseball since he's taken over? I know Celia got to deal with the whole steroid scandal and all that, but it, a lot. Yeah, it's more just in recent memory. Maybe I'm harping on too much. But <laughs> when you go back to, I feel like 2019 to present, there's been some major issues, and it's been it's been a it's been a tough stretch, I think. And it, it doesn't seem like baseball has been able to escape it because it almost seems like they blend into each other in a way, right? You mentioned yeah. the Astros scandal, COVID, and the negotiations with players and so forth like that. Now you got the pine tar, not to mention use. the mistreatment of minor leaguers. Oh, that's a huge one. All of that is blended together. It's not like you have one happening in 15, one happening in 19, and another going yeah. into 2022. Not to mention been, that you, not to mention that he was literally. It was what the Dodgers trophy presentation last year in the World Series. Well, he had the echo on that. (laughs) What's hard for him too, though, that I think people don't realize is that, and this is why commissioners have it's one of the hardest jobs in terms of just reputation, especially if you're Rob Manfred. You know, one thing I've noticed, and you can continue your point in a second, but it's like, you know, when you talk about other sports, you talk about hockey. You don't say a player is banned from hockey. You don't say a player is banned from football, banned from soccer. You say they're banned from the NBA, banned from the NHL. In baseball, you say he's been banned from baseball. It's bad for baseball. It's bad for this. It's bad for that. That's because Rob Manfred is the principal face of baseball. It's (laughs) because he is. He's in that position of power. And as a recent memory, like we said, he just can't handle – or I shouldn't say he can't handle, but he has mishandled a very, very hard deck of cards that he was dealt yeah, and I th- what I was getting to, too, a little bit is that there's a conception, I think, for every fan of every sports league that the commissioner is the representation of the fans, the representation of the players, and to an extent, they are. But in any commissioner's case, so for Manfred, for example, he's a representation of the owners, right? The owners are his boss. If If he's not making them happy, he's gone. They're going to you know, vote him out. And I think that's what people forget here. So every decision he makes is going to be heavily influenced by them. So that's why 
they deserve just as much as the blame as Manfred, in my opinion, because Manfred is sort of just their scapegoat in a way. You know, we talk about the relationship between managers and the analytics department and how the managers are the it's face the of thing. every mistake that happens or every Well, they're the decision. face of every mistake. However, Manfred 90, is also. 80% of the mistakes that happen in both of these situations, whether it's Manfred and the owners or it's the manager and the analytics team, happen because of the people calling the shots, not the people executing yeah, and that's Manfred's job. He signed up for it, so I'm not s- s- trying to he say vote, we should he feel he sympathy into, for him. He was voted into the position. <laughs> yeah, but like, do you ever think he could have turned it down? Quick, quick random side note: Do you ever think? I mean, obviously the owners want what's best for the league, but do you ever think that owners throw people into the position <laughs> just to see it go by the wayside? I hope not, because then no. it makes things harder for them. But that would be. I so... think they throw people in there to get what they want. I think that's exactly, yeah, exactly, but... exactly. And then sometimes not everybody agrees, and then we find ourselves in a situation where we're going to have basically. A second workshop yeah. in three years. And I'm not saying we should feel sympathy for Rob Manford because, again, it's his job and that's what he's supposed to do. But at the same time, I'm just saying don't expect him to be making the fans the number one priority in these decisions. While he'll say that's the case, there is definitely going to be influence from these owners who unfortunately don't seem to prioritize fans as much as fans around the country think that they do. And that's the problem right there. That's why Rob Manfred is getting so much grief. And again, I don't know if there's any way to fix it because Rob Manfred can't go out there and say, hey, I'm I'm representing the owners right here. I can't make a decision for you because then the league would be in shambles. But it's a messy spot. It's a messy spot. And he takes on a lot. And I'm not going to say he's done a good job because he truthfully has been a part of Probably the roughest five-year stretch uh, for Major League Baseball since the steroid scandals back about 10, 15 years ago. But it's tough. It's tough. That's all I can say. Yeah, can't uh, agree with you more. It's a very tough, tough situation. It's not good, as Aaron Boone would say. It's That's not what right. you want, as Joe Girardi would That's say. That's right. Uh, My but, quote. Yeah, two, two, two good quotes there. Um <laughs> Any final thoughts on this potential work stoppage? And also another baseballism while we're at it. <laughs> for those of you rooting for the Braves at home, the last time an NL East team won the World Series, the season didn't start on time. So uh, <laughs> who knows? And, and also, the last time an NL East team beat the Houston Astros in the World Series, the season didn't start on time. Those so, dang NL East teams. I know, I know. It, it's Wait, terrible. 2019 didn't start on time? 2020 didn't start on time. The next year didn't start on time. I got it. So don't start your Yankees opening day countdown. I will. We're not adding. We're not adding. For those of you listening, Tommy started a Yankees opening day countdown uh, in anticipation of the 2020 season, and uh, that's like the countdown went. The countdown went longer than he expected. I still think about that. Like, what are the chances of that? Like, the year that I decide to do a countdown is, like, the first time the season didn't start on time <laughs> since, like, who knows when. But Got to be careful. I know. So we're going to shut down the countdown, and we're going to hope that we have the reverse We need the jinxing. countdown to the strike so you can jinx the striker lockout. Hey, we could do it. <laughs> what are we? What are we... Uh... A month and what two days away from that potentially December second. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. also means also means no winter meetings. But before we uh, take our final break of the hour and talk about uh, some people who are a little bit picky about the world of baseball and our World Series predictions, any final thoughts on the strike? It's inevitable. Be ready for it. Be ready for it is all I can say. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. But like Max said. There is time, like between December 2nd and March 31st, which I believe is opening day. I think there is time, but like you mentioned, if it gets too far, that's when you you, have to get this figured out by the end of January, I'd say, if you want to start on time. Yep, because other than that, you're just pushing things back uh, however late you are delayed. With that, we'll take our final break of the hour. You are listening to On the Mount here on BIC Radio. At VIC, the voice of Ithaca College, we prioritize diversity and inclusion. We are working to ensure that more voices are heard. We support and will continue to support the Black Lives Matter movement and victims of police brutality and racial injustice. We've heard you. We support you. We must advocate for change. Black Lives Matter. Find your comfiest chair, grab your coldest beverage, and relax. Every Tuesday night, 8 to 10 o'clock, with me, DJ Dog, on the kickback on VIC Radio. We'll be listening to the best of classic rock, so tune in. 
la la. I love to ride my bike so I can feel the wind through my hair. Hey, kid! Wear a helmet! No way, Grandpa, because then I'd look like an idiot. Yeah! The majority of bicycle deaths are due to head injuries. Helmets reduce the odds of a head injury by 50%. Don't be a dummy. Wear a helmet. Welcome back to On the Mound here on VIC Radio. Matt Sosside, Max Tanzer, and Tommy Muma. Our final topic of the hour before we get to our World Series Game 5, 6, and 7 predictions is kind of a, I'd say, fun, funny, but uh, interesting topic to discuss. I've been mentioning throughout the show that people always like to denounce baseball. And a very interesting piece of news coming out this week is PETA, which is an animal rights organization, is pitching to Major League Baseball to retire the term bullpen and use arm barn instead. For those of you who aren't familiar, the bullpen is the area where the pitchers warm up prior to entering the ball game. Animal rights group says that bullpen mocks the misery of animals and devalues players. This according to an article from NPR and the PETA Twitter account, which has been renamed Armbarn and it is verified by Twitter. And I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'll let you two have the floor first so we don't run out of time. I'm curious if the players actually do feel that way, because if they do, then I think they should change it if they do feel devalued from it. I just wonder, like, I haven't heard anyone complain about bullpen ever before, which is why it caught me so off guard. And if they really want to change it, I wouldn't even... I mean, you could put Armbarn in there now, just because it's, it's out there. I think it's a little goofy. But, could, like, what would, would pen be bad if we just referred it to... If referred to well, then are the they going to complain about something else? Well, like... I, that's my question. Can we change it to the pen? I mean, there's, like... Armbarn... So... <laughs> Okay, uh, let's compare isn't this. It, let's it, compare this to the disabled list one. The disabled one list, the, the, the disabled list one makes a little bit more sense to me because, like, disabled is sense. a yeah. more difficult word to work around right here. And if a player breaks his leg, I wouldn't particularly consider him disabled, at least if I'm correct there. For, in I the think, grand scheme of things, yes, and I think it's a little bit disrespectful to someone who might actually have, you know, a more severe disability. But uh, injured list was simple, easy, quick. Bullpen, to me, in baseball slang, changing that's a big change right there. And if you are going to change it, you need to put a little bit more thought into the name. And I know some people who liked Armbrand. They thought, was ca- thought it was catchy. I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's goofy. I'm not particularly opposed to changing it if the players really feel that way. But I haven't heard of any suggestion that they do before that. So if the players don't mind, then I think it's okay. And I really... Don't I try not to be disrespectful here, but I, I don't think the Bulls mind either. I don't think they, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they know. I don't think they care. To be a hundred percent honest with you, if 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 like I, again, I'm really trying to be careful here. But like, <laughs> if a bird referred to some sort of sport they played as the human pen, I wouldn't be that upset about it. I wouldn't. I'd be like, okay, do your thing, you know. Because we're not associating the bullpen with bulls when we're talking. I, honestly, to be honest with you, I've never thought of a player in a bullpen as a bull before. I've just well, sort also, of I mean, the not, not to go with the connotation, I kind of don't understand how this devalues players because bulls have very positive qualities. I know I'm taking this literally word for word, letter for letter here. I mean, if the players care to, like, you know, if the bull, got to be sure, big and bull, it. come in and throw in the ball game. It's like. You're a Honestly, and like if you're a relief pitcher, relief pitchers, even if they're relegated, relegated or failed starters, they love it. Like they love being that, having that vibe in the bullpen. It's a culture down there, and I think that I don't know. Arm barn that honestly feels like something that was derived at the last second before this tweet That's was sent out. That's what I'm saying. They're like, okay, if we're going to argue this, we need to make something up. And they had to propose. release it during the World Series because all the eyes are on the sport. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ingenious timing by PETA. But I honestly think it's great timing. But, like, also, this the bullpen's been used forever. I know we could say the similar thing of what the disabled list was prior to two or three years ago or even the Cleveland Indians prior to their, them changing their name uh, uh in when when are they sw- they're switching sometime soon I believe. Um, but besides the point, it's like 
okay, I just don't understand what the sort of logic is. And I believe PETA also, they sent a tweet out or something a few years back saying that humans should stop using the word chicken, like is a phrase to describe someone as skittish. And I think this is kind of similar to that because it's like, like you said, I mean, not to come off as a, a little bit disrespectful, but I don't think the chickens or the bulls care. <laughs> I don't either. And there's no way of knowing. So that's why, again, like, I, this is You one, could ask. <laughs> this is one where I stay out of it a little bit because, like, I just really, it's not the end of the world to me if they change the arm barn. It'll be a little... It's weird. I mean, me. you have, I mean, I'm sure I'm stealing Tommy's point there, but you have an analyst like David Cohn who uh, <laughs> have a bunch of clips. Regard, you know, he's coming in from the bully. What are you going to say about the arm barn? <laughs> Tommy, you can elaborate the on army. that a little more. That's right. Um, well, so I went and I looked about the origins of the bullpen, and it actually had nothing to do with bulls at all because <laughs> here's what I thought. I thought it was the bullpen because of, like, you know, the shape. It kind of looks like a pen. But... It says that, so this is from ESPN, it says the term bullpen came to be associated with relief pitchers around the turn of the century when many outfield fences had advertisements for Bull Durham tobacco, which was, you know, right where the, um, you know, where the bullpen was. So that's how it came to be. That didn't have anything to do with bulls, apparently. Um, and I don't know. I I mean, you guys covered it pretty well. I, it's, it was I just crazy don't think it's worth making it. a big deal about. Is the way I mean, I just it. think, I mean, based on the reaction it's got on social media, I think it's kind of funny. You know, you have Clint Frazier who yeah. jokingly, uh, uh, you know, had some satirical response to uh, the PETA tweet uh, saying he was, uh, quote, in support of it, but was kind of being sarcastic. Um, there was one suggestion from a fan that they'd only agree to arm barn if every stadium actually made it a physical barn. In the, in the, <laughs> yeah. But then, like, aren't you devalue? Like, I don't understand if you may, if you focused on that, aren't you devaluing a lot of other? I mean, I don't know. Barn animals. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like. I I don't know. It's just one of those things. When was it, Tommy? Well, I, Thursday? Was it Thursday that this came out? I think so. It was Thursday. We were literally having lunch and we're, <laughs> we're li- listening to this and. Uh, like just literally having a similar conversation as we are right now. Like, and I feel like animal analogies in sports, there's a lot of them. And I feel like, and I can't name any off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's plenty out there. Does this mean we have to change all of them? Any any analogy that refers to any animal whatsoever, right? Positive I think or negative. I mean, this has been o- around for over a hundred years. Clearly. There's not a whole lot of problems with it. I mean, it's just honestly, I think it's just something to, as a side note of the World Series, something to you know they they always they they always find their way to tweet about something during a big marquee event. And speaking of big marquee event, just about a minute and a half left on the show, and a pretty massive ball game tonight. Could be the last one for 35 years based on the track oh, record and how Major League Baseball has <laughs> been negotiating. Um, so, Didn't even think do we that. do we have a I game guess. on Tuesday or Wednesday? Yes, I do think the Astros win tonight. I think Framber Valdez uh, comes back, and he has something to prove here tonight. Obviously, it's the game one starter. You're, you're taking a lot of responsibility right there, and he struggled, and I think that he'll dominate tonight here, and I think that the Braves will win in six now if I were to change it up. I'd have to agree. I think that Houston definitely will win tonight. I mean, I still, you know, I have faith in Atlanta. Um but we'll see. I mean, I, I think Atlanta's going to win this series for sure, but I think Houston's going to send it back. Yeah, I think this series goes back to Houston. However, I think Atlanta comes away with it in six. They got I the think Quab we, charts. Yep, yep. Got to look at the got to look at the Quab charts. I mean, I haven't looked at it officially because again, it's not an official stat in Major League Baseball. It's so disappointing. Who knows? Maybe that will be thrown in the new CBA that Quab charts yes. must be handed out. The abbreviation every, will be SOS for Sossler. Yeah, it'll be right there on the chart. The, in a, mandatory. It must be handed out at every single ballpark so every single fan can get their program, their scorecard, and their Quab chart, or all for a great price of eighty-five dollars. <laughs> 85. Obviously a joke, a play on a joke of uh, some ballpark prices that exist out there. But anyways, that is going to wrap up this edition of On the Mound here on VIC Radio. Be sure to tune in next week where we will break down the end 
of the 2021 baseball season. It's been a wild one and will be over the next time we go on the air. Coming up right now after this is Goat Chat Gridiron to break down this week in the NFL. For Max Tanzer and Tommy Muma, I'm Matt Sossler. Thank you for listening to On the Mound here on BIC Radio.